Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Obedient, we are looking at why being rooted in Christ brings about the blessing of fruitful living. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Didi Bacon. Well, good morning. I am so thrilled that you have chosen to join us after your uh, Thanksgiving coma. Did you have a Thanksgiving coma, eating so much? It was a great Thanksgiving, I have to confess, for me. Uh, all four of my adult children were home, and uh, they all decided to hang out. So every room in the house was filled with a person, which is wonderful. Um, I'm at the point of realizing, hey, this doesn't happen as often as it used to. Uh, enjoy it, and I did. In fact, we even had a guest, uh, an additional friend, come and stay, and, uh, and our dog, Zeke, peed on the bed as a housewarming <laughs> opportunity. Uh, anyway. Go Zeke. Yeah, everyone needs a Zeke in their life. Hey, I want to thank everyone who um, participated in the challenge that we asked you to consider last week about giving thanks three times a day, thanking God out loud, morning or evening, in the middle, whatever. I want to thank you for feedback that you gave. We had some posts on our social media channels, and uh, it was just neat to hear the feedback and the encouragements that came from it. I have to agree with what Ron said. Ron said, why are we just doing this for the week? Let's do it all the time. And I'm like, yeah, baby, amen to that, because the challenge from Scripture is this, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you, the will of God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Give thanks in all circumstances for those of you that are into this thing. It's present continuous tense in its expression, which means it's to be done today and every day that is today. So it's something we're supposed to do every day, give thanks to God in all circumstances. And when we do that, we experience the truth that God's gift of life is released when we follow God's way. One of the things that brings a smile to my face, almost a smile of thanksgiving is in the summertime when I'm not preaching, I come to one of the services, which means I'm coming down to church a little later than normal, and I pass Union Township Veterans Park, the helicopter park, and every now and then I see a group of Indian, Asian Indians, they're playing cricket out there. Have you ever seen those guys do that? You're like, what are they doing? They're playing cricket. And cricket is something I grew up playing. In fact, I often joke that cricket was, was my religion from age 12 to 16. I, I was all about cricket. Cricket's played all over the world. Wherever the Brits were once in charge, they play cricket. So they're big people that play cricket. England, of course, Australia, India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka. They played in New Zealand. They played in Zimbabwe, South Africa. In fact, they even played not too far from here in the West Indies. The only place that once was a British colony that doesn't play cricket much is the United States. And so when I came to the U- U.S. in 1990, I discovered there was no cricket, so I was kind of in the dark for cricket for a little while until the rise of the Internet. And with the rise of the internet, I was able to stop following cricket and stop following the games. And I particularly like to follow the England team. England is currently playing Sri Lanka. They have three versions of the game. There's the game that you play for five days. I know, it's exciting, isn't it? Um, (laughs) The one-day game, 
We play one team basically bats in the morning, one team bats in the afternoon. It's just how they do it. And then the exciting 2020 version, which takes about a couple of hours, like a baseball game. And some of you are like, oh, those games are still too long for me. But you played three or four hours. Following along with the, Sri the, the situation in Sri Lanka with the England team, the big chat on the news lines was that England have selected a team that comprise of players who can take advantage of the unique situation, the unique conditions found in Asia. See, in cricket, the pitcher, it's called the bowler, bounces the ball to the batter. And so the ball can move not only in the air, like in a baseball, you can make the ball move in the air, but it also can move off the ground. And so the conditions, the natural conditions of the environment have a factor in that. And in Asia, the conditions are dry and hot. And so those guys that, that throw really hard, pitch really hard, are really ineffective because there's nothing, the, the, the pace of the, of the pitch, the ground, is not very good. And so they select people we call spinners. And my, that just went out. It's because I was talking too long about cricket, and it's also gone to sleep, hasn't it? <laughs> so let me get to this quickly. Asian conditions require certain individuals to be selected to the team. Well, that got me thinking. You know, that's just how it is, right, in life. You always select individuals on your team that you believe have the skill to help you win. You select individuals on your team that you know will help you win. That's what you do in competitive sport. And in fact, that's, it's true for life. When we're looking to have a job, those who are looking to hire, hire people they believe are qualified to do the job or have at least the potential to be trained to be qualified to do the job. We're selected based on what we can do. Now, some folks think about religion in this way, and there's some religious practices that say, well, it's the same with how to be pleasing to God. In order to be pleasing to the God you worship, you need to follow the rules, and you need to follow the guidelines. You need to do the things that please the God. And when you please the God, then the God that you worship will bless you, will give you protection, will give you what you need to succeed in life. We got uh, bingo, 976. Child 976 has been chosen, a special child. Not to embarrass everyone, just to let you know. Thank you. Please come by and get him. Thank you, Vanna. Uh, we choose people in life based on what they can do. Now, when Jesus entered the scene, we see something different. Jesus came into the world, we're told by the, in, in the Bible, that he came into the world, God became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And the Son of God began a ministry, a movement in which he would establish the kingdom, the place where God, God rules, the place where, where God dwells. And when he began his ministry, he began selecting individuals who would be on his team. Individuals, the first followers of Jesus were selected so that they eventually would become leaders in the movement that he would establish that we would call the church. And the interesting thing to note is that when Jesus went about selecting those individuals who would be his first followers and be the leaders in the church, he didn't go to the top religious leaders and take resumes 
He didn't go to the top religious school, Bible school, and say, where are your best students who know all about the Bible? He didn't go to the movers and shakers of society, those with influence in that culture. No, Jesus didn't choose the qualified. He, in fact, went after those whom we would consider are far from qualified. He told four fishermen, hey, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He said, if you say yes, I will give you everything you need. I will equip you as you follow me to do something that you cannot do on your own without me. He approached the tax collector. I mean, that's like a modern equivalent of asking a lawyer to join the church, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Little joke. Sorry, lawyers. Just kidding. Just kidding. But really, tax collectors were on the bottom rung in terms of individuals considered by the Jews as receiving God's favor. If you were to start a movement characterized as God's kingdom, to the Jews, it wouldn't be a tax collector. Why? Because not only uh, were they traitors, they were thieves. They were traitors because they were working for the Roman occupiers, taking money from their fellow countrymen to resource the people that were oppressing them. But also we find that they were also taking a bit for themselves. They were extorting their fellow countrymen. Yet Jesus approached Matthew tax collector and said what? Follow me. When the church was established, we see this pattern continuing. Our man Paul was once known as, as Saul. Saul was a highly educated, committed person to Judaism. He was one who was rabid about his faith. That passion translated to the fact that he saw Christians as a threat to the Jewish faith, and so he went about persecuting and prosecuting and pursuing Christians. Yet Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and then said, in effect, follow me. And Saul became Paul, and Paul was commissioned to take the message of Jesus' invitation to all to people groups outside of the Jewish nation. How ironic that is that the Jew who was very much committed to the racial purity of only being Jewish in order to be part of the kingdom of God was now asked to be the one to be the inviter of people who are not Jewish into God's kingdom. And so we see this principle that God invites us to say yes to do something that we cannot do on our own without him. And while we might say this is remarkable what Jesus did, if you really take a moment to examine the Bible and the story all the way to the beginning, you see that this is how God has always operated. And in fact, if you look at the story of creation, you recognize that God made people, human beings, he created them, and inside of each of us is this desire to be connected to others. We are at our best when we are in cooperation, when we are a connection, when we are in relationship with others. None of us are self-made. No person, whoever is sitting on top of the success letter, if they say, we did it, I did it on my own, they're lying. 
There's no such thing as a self-made person, is there? That person is reliant on the connections, the relationships, the opportunities of others. God made us to thrive in cooperation with others. He also made us to have life when we're connected to God. The writer in Ecclesiastes said that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. In other words, in each of us is this desire to be connected to God and to live our lives walking with God. And when we do that, we're able to do things that we couldn't do on our own, receiving God's blessing in that way. St. Augustine said he has noticed that our souls are not happy or not at rest until we are at rest with God. C.S. Lewis, who was once an atheist, said, you know what, when we take notice of the fact that nothing in this world seems to satisfy us totally, we have to consider the question that perhaps we were not made for this world and what we need comes from outside of this world. And that points to one thing. We were made to have God in our life and to walk with God in life. In fact, God's way of life is for us to say yes to his invitation to do things that we can't do on our own. But we have a problem with that. I know I have a problem with that. Now, I don't have a problem with that in the big things. You know, I was 12 years old when I gave my life to Jesus. And when I was invited to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the means by which I can be made right with God through faith in Jesus, I said, yes, I believe I said yes because I knew, even at 12, that I was not capable of earning my salvation and, and I didn't want to end up dying and going to hell. <laughs> but the thing is, is that the Christian faith is more than signing on the dotted line to an insurance policy guaranteeing that we end up in heaven and not in the flames. The Christian faith is totally giving our life to God and living for God in our day-to-day, -day. and in living that in, for God in our day-to-day, -day, it means a commitment to do our life in a manner in which we're saying yes to God on a consistent basis to things we cannot do on our own. But we struggle because we believe we can do it on our own. We believe that the relationship that we're in is so special that we can go ahead and subvert God's plan to save sex for marriage. But God calls us to say yes. Say yes to do things that we cannot do on our own without Him. When I became a dad, I recognized that God called me to be invested in my children in which I reared them in the Lord and in which I was a godly father. Truth be told, I didn't have a good role model. My, my dad adopted me, came into my life at eight years old, and he wasn't a perfect guy. Yes, there were things I could learn from him, but, you know, he wasn't a perfect guy. I had gaps in my life, and, of course, I could have pursued that on my own. I could have tried to do that on my own, but I came to realize, wait, I, I can't do that. I have to submit that to God and say yes to his invitation to be part of something that I cannot do on my own without him. It's a struggle. Early in my marriage, Shannon and I 
We had two kids, maybe one kid and a kid on the way. I was working three jobs. We had made the commitment that it was best for our family that Shannon stay home. But the trouble is, is that I had the low-paying job and she had the high-paying job. And in choosing that, we were like, okay, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> we call that period of our life the Raymond noodles and baked potatoes days, right? <laughs> Money was tight, yet God called us to say yes to the challenge to give 10% of our gross income to the church as part of our worship. And I argued and I fought and I tried to think about ways to get around it, but the truth be told, God called me to say yes to his invitation to do something I could not do on my own without him because that is the way of God. It's interesting that we come to the end of our entire series titled Obedient, and what we've been doing is we've been working through First and Second Timothy and Titus. We come to the third chapter of Titus, and we're coming to the, the last part of what Paul gives as an instruction to Titus that he would communicate to the Christians at the island of Crete that is captured for us in the book of Titus that now can come to us today. And in that, he gives instruction. He gives encouragement regarding this truth. We have to submit ourselves to saying yes to the invitation from God to do something we cannot do on our own. And so I'm going to read to you. Oh, Bible, it's back. Good. All right. Um, follow along as best you can. I'm reading Titus chapter 3, verse 3. And I want you to notice Paul's language, how he talks about this is how you formerly were. This is how we used to be. This was the condition of our life when we lived, in effect, saying no to God. And this is now what we're called to do, to say yes, and look at the blessings that have come from that. Look at the life that comes from that. He says, for we also once were foolish ourselves. For we also once were foolish ourselves. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Here's a, here's a life lived saying no to God's invitation to do something that we cannot do on our own. He says, but when the kindness of God, of God our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he's referencing the gift of Jesus, right? For God so loved the world, he sent his Son, Whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. He saved us not on the basis of, of deeds which we have done in righteousness, he didn't save us by what we, because we could do it. No, the invitation was come because we couldn't do it. But according to his mercy, he offered it up for us to say yes to. By the washing is a, a reference to that, that point in our lives when we give our life to Jesus at our baptism. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. This is something you can, you can stand on. You can go to the bank on, he says. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. God's way of life is saying yes to his invitation to do what I cannot do without him. And the question I think I would ask that you would consider 
a challenge for you and for me is this. Where do I need to say yes to God? To do something I know I can't do on my own without Him. Do you need to say yes to the invitation to be made right with God through faith? I mean, do you need to say yes to the call to be baptized, regenerated, washed, renewed, receive the gift that God has offered in Jesus Christ, the gift of salvation being made right with God and the gift of the Holy Spirit being one of God's children empowered by the Spirit to live a God-honoring life? Do you need to say yes to that? Is there a part in your life where it's out of control? And, and yeah, you're pretending that you're in control. You believe you have it in a good place. You have it where you need it to be. But the truth is, is that you don't. You do drink too much alcohol. And you are addicted to it. You are addicted to the drug. You can't stop going to the porn sites. And even though you, you I got it on the call, the truth be told, it's destroying your life. And it's beginning to eat away at everything that is good. Your closest relationships, your finances, your health, your state of mind, your peace. It's beginning to destroy you because you are walking alone in this. And you are saying no to God's invitation to say yes. I need help, Lord. Yes, I need you so that I can do something I can't do on my own. Stay sober. Get clean. Be pure. Maybe it has to do with your attitude. Of late, I've seen communications writing about a chronic issue going on in our society. We're suffering serious envy and jealousy because we are comparing ourselves constantly with people on Facebook and other social media channels. And we feel bad about ourselves. We're depressed. We feel like life has passed on us all that is good. We feel like we're worthless and we don't have anything to offer. Why? Because we look at Facebook and we see our friends, they're, they're, they're getting married. And our friends, they're, they're having great lives and great homes and kids and going on fantastic vacations. And we feel like, oh, no, they're getting it. And why am I not getting it? And we begin to be just weighed down and, and have this bad attitude that life stinks and uh, why me and all that goes with it and our attitude and our, our optimism begins to plunge and we begin to feel terrible about ourselves and treat ourselves terribly. And then we're faced with the invitation from God that says, why don't you say yes to give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Why don't you trust me in saying yes to saying thank you maybe once a day with your mouth to me and see the transformation that it can occur. Maybe the issue is relational. Romantic relationships. Your marriage, husband, wife, wife, husband, children. You're doing your best. You're trying hard. 
but it just doesn't seem to turn out. It just doesn't seem to be working. It just doesn't seem to, 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 to be at peace. You're trying to do it, and you're trying to do it with everything you've got because this is your life, you think. So then you're faced with the notion of staying pure until marriage. You're faced with the notion of husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. You're faced with the invitation for a wife to submit to your husband as the church submits to Christ. Uh, parents rear your children in the Lord. Children obey your parents, and you come to realize, I can't do it on my own. You've been invited to say yes to something that you can't do on your own without the Lord, without God. Where are you struggling to say yes to God? What area of your life, what part of your day-to-day do you believe that you can do it on your own by your own terms and wrestle control from God because, you know, he's just not moving fast enough and doesn't know me and I can do it and it's okay. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed walked from the place they were meeting in the upper room, and he walked to the Garden of Gethsemane, and in that walk, he passed through some vineyards. And as he was passing through the vineyards in the moonlight, you get this idea that he took the opportunity to provide an object lesson of encouragement that contained a a powerful promise for living. And the promise centered around the vine and the branches and the fruit. Jesus said, I want you to think of God as the vine dresser, the owner of the vineyard, the one responsible for seeing production, a harvest of grapes that will go then to, to provide wine, and, and that's what the farm is all about. He said, I, your Lord and Savior, am the main trunk, that part which goes deep into the ground and provides sustenance and nutrient and life, life to the branches, and the branches' job is to produce fruit to produce fruit because that's the will of the vine dresser and he said the vine dresser prunes and, and cuts and, 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 and motivates the branches to, brood, to produce fruit and he said here's the promise if you who are my followers are the branches and your calling in this vineyard is to produce fruit then remain in me stay in me You're like, well, what is fruit in the life of the believer? Well, fruit in the life of the believer can be simply described as a changed life because God is present. A changed life because I said, yes, yes, Lord, I will respond to the call to do something that I cannot do on my own without you. I will say yes to the pursuit of salvation. I will say yes to the overcoming of my, of my struggles. I will say yes to dedicating my day-to-day to honor you. I will say yes, and in saying yes, Jesus said, you will see a life change, fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You'll see the characteristics of love as described by the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 onwards. You will see what he says in in the text of Titus. That is good and profitable for all men. You will produce a fruit that will, will show life and the life of God coming to you. Why? Because you said yes to Jesus' invitation to do something that you couldn't do on your own without him.
you will remain in me. And I will remain in you and bring about that life change. So where is it that you need to say yes to God to? This is the question I think I'd like us to end as we come to the conclusion of our obedience series, as we come to the conclusion of this journey through First and Second Timothy and Titus. This is the question I'd like for all of us to consider, to perhaps take a moment now to ask God, Lord, show it to me that place in my life where I have been saying no and I need to say yes. That place in my life where you are calling me to do something that I could not do on my own without you. Without you. And so this is what I suggest. This is what I'm going to ask that we do. I'm going to ask that we stand. So go ahead and stand. And in standing, give an opportunity to members of our prayer team, our prayer service team to come forward, and they're going to be available to you in person after service to pray with you on anything that's on your heart if you need it now. They're going to be provide counsel to you regarding next steps. If you want to tell them, I want to say yes to God's call to be saved, to be God's child, to receive the blessing he gives to me, tell one of these guys and they will direct you where you need to go. They're going to be available after we're dismissed. But before we pray and close this out, I want us to be quiet. And I want us to just take a moment of quiet so that we could listen. Part of our problem in our world is there's too much noise and distraction. And we're uncomfortable with quiet because when we're quiet, we feel exposed. But maybe we need to feel exposed in this moment so that God can speak to us directly. So there's going to be a moment of quiet. I will pray after we pray. It'll be time for us to move on. If you want to linger and visit with your friends and fellowship and say hi to, to Solonique, go ahead and do that, please, after we dismiss. But let's just be quiet at this time. So please bow your head and be quiet. Lord, the way of grace is that you came into this world not to call the qualified, but to qualify the called. And a lot of us, we have a mixed response regarding that because we believe we're not qualified in some areas and we're open to your invitation for life and grace and forgiveness. But in other areas, we believe we're qualified and perhaps can do a better job, and so we say no. And I ask that you would help us to learn to totally give over those areas because you do call us in this way of life to say yes to those things that we cannot do on our own without you. I pray that you would bring to light in our minds and in our hearts 
perhaps those areas in which we need to stop trying to go it alone, those areas in which we need to stop believing that we have what it takes to get what we need and instead confess that we cannot do it on our own and that we would love to say yes and will say yes to your invitation, your invitation for your spirit to do his work so that we might see a change in our life that can be characterized as fruit, as the product of faith. Pray that you speak to us now. And perhaps if nothing's coming now, that you will speak to us in this day, bringing to light that area of life where we need to say yes. Yes to your invitation to do something, to see something change that we cannot do on our own except with, our, with you in our life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.